text them in, but I think that the elders in particular, the ruling elders of our church have done a great job of consolidating the information, and so you're still going to have time to, to ask anything that you want to ask before the 24th, and we'll explain all that today. So um, we are here to worship God, and one of the ways that we do that is through, through the Word, through the preaching of the Word, and it may seem odd, you know, if you're, if you're new to church, it's odd that we like open up an ancient text and then read through it and then some person gets up and talks about it. But the reason why we do that is because this has been a practice throughout the history of the church's existence and the people of God's existence that when we get together centered around the scripture, God shows up and comforts the hearts of human beings by reminding us of the truth that we belong with him and that our heart's deepest rest find Find their peace with him. And that's what this text is about today. In Psalm 4, we're going to be spending a a few weeks um, just talking about how to navigate different emotions that we have as human beings and how to have healthy uh, mental capacity to to deal with stress and anxiety, because that's been a big deal uh, in our world over the past two and a half years. And so Psalm 4 is a great place to, uh, to go when navigating how to, how to handle unwanted circumstances and, and distress. And so this is God's word to you today. Psalm 4, this is a guy named King David, about a thousand years before Jesus Christ came. He says this, Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O man, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? And how long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You've put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. So let's, uh, let's spend some moments in silence. And in that space, we're asking God to show us what it means to have peace in the midst of a drought, have peace in the midst of distress, because that's possible according to scripture. So let's pray.
Father, your word intersects with our lives and meets us always where we are, even if we don't see it at first. It takes uh, time to sit and listen to you. And over the course of our lives, Lord, you you teach us how to rhythmically do that. And we ask, Lord, that as we open your word and we hear this this song, this poem that King David wrote way back in the day. And let, let us just imagine that somebody this long ago can say something and by your power, by the Spirit's power, it can speak directly into our lives right here and now and bring real comfort and bring real relief and bring real peace. And so, Lord, that's our hope, that in some ways it, eternal life is not some distant thing that is coming to us in the future, although that's true, but eternal life can be accessed here and now through the person and work of Jesus Christ and by the help of the Holy Spirit. And so would you come now? We are listening. In Christ's name, amen. When uh, my wife Sarah and I were first married, we lived in a one-room house in Texas that had uh, scorpion and ground, brown recluse problems. And it was, uh, it was a frightening time. I remember waking up in the middle of the night with the largest brown recluse spider I have ever seen in my life on my chest. And this was around the time when I was uh, studying Hebrew and specifically this psalm. And uh, over the course of that week, after the brown recluse uh, was on my chest, I found like six scorpions in our tiny little ranch house. And it was the opposite of what you see in verse eight in this text, you know, in peace, I will both lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord, made me dwell in safety. Like I was not getting REM sleep, you know, we were barely even getting to sleep. And I called my landlord and I was like, hey, can you do something about this? And his name was Dr. Cub Culbertson, who proceeded to give me spiritual advice. And he said, he's like, Matt, have you considered that Satan could be attacking you in the form of scorpions and spiders? And I was like, no, I haven't (laughs) considered that. And he was like, well, I would encourage you to pray um, that Satan would stay away from you. And so I did, you know, um, and I literally I, I prayed. I was like, Lord, can you please protect us from all these terrible spiders? And I opened my eyes from the prayer. I am not kidding. I opened my eyes from the prayer to Sarah almost stepping on a scorpion in the bathroom. And that's oftentimes what the life of prayer feels like. Like you're asking God, you know, C.S. Lewis said when uh, he was in a very tumultuous time and a grief observed, he said, prayer during that season of my life felt like I was knocking on the door of a house until my knuckles were bloody, only to step back and see that the door was double bolted and the light was off upstairs. That's what the life of prayer felt like to him. And I think that the Psalms are incredible because what you see is these people The psalmist, and and here it's King David, calling out to God in complete distress. Like they're anxious. They're afraid. Their situation is dire. They're frustrated. And there's seemingly zero answer. And, you know, as as you begin the life of following God and of worshiping him and believing in him, what, what does it mean when human beings feel uh, so empty 
And yet, you have had real experiences of the promises of God being real in your life. And you've known it. And yet God doesn't seem to be answering you when you call out to him in your stress in the present moment. You know, what, what does it mean when we are in an emotional drought, when we are depressed? What does it mean when uh, we ask God for something and we know he has the power to take it away, but he ain't doing it? What does that mean? And here's the main question I want us to ask this morning. Um, is it possible to have peace in the midst of stress or distress? And if so, how do you get that kind of peace? Is that possible? And I, I want to talk about that under the theme of a drought. And I'll talk about why that's the case here in a second. But we'll look at that under three points. The reality of the drought, the disciplines in the drought, and the oasis in the desert. And so point one, the reality of the drought. There's a guy named Dr. Bruce Walkey who does amazing work on this text. He's a Hebrew scholar, and I would very much encourage you to go home later this afternoon or this week and just type in Dr. Bruce Walkey, Psalm 4. It will be worth your time. But I am borrowing a lot of his translation work on this psalm as we, as we work through it. And I think he's just super, super helpful. So I just wanted to say that before we get into point one. Point one, the reality of the drought. John Calvin once said, when I don't know how to feel properly, and I'm paraphrasing, he was an old French guy. When I don't know how to feel properly, I turn to the Psalms. And I love that. Uh, when we are under stress, most of us instinctively think, I know this is how I am. Uh, this is not how the life of God is supposed to be. This is not, I'm not supposed to be experiencing this terrible thing that's like crushing me. But when you come to the Psalms, what we do is that we're coming into a reality where that feeling, where life feels kind of crushing, is actually really, really normal. And the more you read the Psalms, the more you feel the sense of being known, like these people get it. These people know what a human being experiences, especially when, when it's hard. And the, the reason why is because most psalms, if you read through the whole thing, they're these, uh, it's a genre called lament, lament psalms, which is a characterization of when, when life feels hard or you're in pain or you're wondering where God's been. And so one of the main purposes of the psalms is for the people of God, Israel, is for them to, to help them process their disappointments and their dangerous circumstances uh, through song, through poetry. That's what these things are. They're, they're poems. And so these Israelites would sing, they would sing out their emotions. They would sing out their sadness. And sometimes God would change their circumstances, as you'll see in some of the lament psalms. And sometimes, like in ours, David's circumstances don't change, but something changes in him. And what the Psalms train us in is how to navigate the ambivalent emotions that we all have within ourselves. Joy, pain, hardship, glory. What Psalm 4 teaches us is that it is possible for your circumstances to not have changed at all. And even within one day, go from being anxious and depressed to complete peace. 
And that doesn't mean that you're bipolar. It means that the spiritual realm can house all that a human being experiences. A peace that what Paul says, it, it transcends comprehension. It transcends it actually making sense in the physical reality in which we live. And I think what God is telling us here through King David in this psalm is that wherever you find yourself and however you're choosing to act in the midst of your circumstances, what the psalms train you to do is to pay attention to God. In the midst of wherever you are and whatever you're doing, that God is present and he wants you to pay attention to him. He wants to capture your attention. And this is how David says it in verses one through two. He says, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O important men is how Walkie translates it. How long shall my glory be turned into shame? And how long will you love delusions and false gods? Now, the, a lament psalm usually has a person called the enemy in it that the psalmist has a conflict with. In our psalm, there is no enemy. And so most people think it's like a natural disaster that, that David is dealing with. And so a lot of scholars think this is what, what was happening. In 2 Samuel 21, there was a massive drought that totally affected the whole nation of Israel. A three-year famine. And David, as the king, this is how people thought back then. David, as the king, would have in some ways been held responsible for rain not coming. And the reason why, and Walkie says that you can, you can actually find quotes from pharaohs and Assyrian kings that boast that under their reign, their people never went hungry and the ground never went dry because they prayed to Ra or Asherah or Baal. And the, the gods gave them rain, which meant gave them a good economy and people were blessed. And therefore they would boast and say, I know that the way that I was devoted to my God provided for our people. And therefore I was a good king. Now, David is speaking into the midst of a culture like that and believing in, in Yahweh, the God of Israel and then a, a three-year famine occurs. And you know what that means. In an agricultural society, a three-year famine is absolute trauma for the nation. Because they can't survive without food. And when that happens and you're in charge, you guys know, you guys know how, this, how this goes, Right? David's friends, his closest friends, this uh, Walkie says it's probably like his cabinet uh, political leaders. They, they begin to get skeptical and anxious about his leadership because it ain't raining. And then they begin to try out other sources of provision. They're thinking about these other gods and these other cultures. And the reason why they're doing that is because they're looking at David and they're looking at God and they're saying, he's not coming through for me like we need him to. Now put yourself in David's shoes. You know, he's supposed to be in good with God and God had made a promise to Israel and made a covenant in the form of a covenant and he had done great things through David. You know, David 
beat a, a massive person named Goliath, cut off his head <laughs> in, a, in a miraculous way. And then he made him king. And God says, look, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless the people through you. And then three year famine. You know, um, when we're, we're very similar as modern people when we uh, experience any sort of emptiness in our lives. We do question. We begin to question if this is right. You know, um, we start to wonder if God really is in control. And then we begin to blame other people. We specifically blame other people and political authority oftentimes. And whatever, whatever it is that's in your life that isn't right right now, that we struggle with, and we have a million different ways of coping with the reality of that brokenness, very simply put, um, God is calling you right now to talk to him about it through prayer. Like speak to him. In, in the real language that you use to, to process your life, that real that goes on in your head, and to express your frustration in however way you need to express it, to speak to God about it. If your child is frustrated and you love your child, you want them to speak to you because you want to know what's in their heart. That's how God is with you. He's like, come on, I know you're frustrated. Speak to me. And one of the things that the Psalms do is that it is, you know, prayer is the best form of emotional regulation. You know, when you feel dysregulated or you're triggered in life and you don't know what to do, uh, God says, come on, come on. Let me calm you down. Speak, speak to me. You can be honest. God can handle it. That's the first thing. Be honest about the reality of your situation. But after we pray and after we speak to God, what do we do? What do we practically do after that? The disciplines of the drought point too. So let's say for years, you, you know, when you feel stress or you feel pain or the loss of, of something in your own life, you tend to like overconsume, or maybe it's a bit more subtle for you. Maybe you tend to like overwork or you, you numb out through entertainment. Look, we all, we all know that our different ways of coping with life isn't working long term. Um, and David tells his companions here to instead of doing the normal coping mechanism thing that we all tend to do, try six things in this song. And the first one is, is in verse three. He says, think about the king, know the king. And part of why he says that is that he wants, he wants us to remember that God is sovereign over the particular circumstances of our lives. That God had set David apart. He had anointed him as, as Messiah through the mouthpiece of God, Samuel. And, and David says, remember that that happens. Remember that God set me apart. And, and, you know, David is super flawed. He's a normal human being like everybody else. But God had marked him with holy oil. And he's like, this is my king. And for the New Testament believer, we are to remember that Jesus is the Messiah and that he was anointed to be king over our lives. And when we are in distress, we are supposed to remember that Jesus, too, was driven out into the desert once as our king. And so we are to remember that Jesus is the true son of David. So 
When you're stressed, remember the king. Know the king. The second discipline, and I think everyone's going to kind of like this one, is to be angry. <laughs> um, and the connotation here, Walkie says, is to more uh, shake with fear or quake, is how the Hebrew puts it. And you may say, well, that's easy enough. Like when I'm stressed, I'm already afraid. So I got that one on lockdown. But the next one is supposed to go along with it. Don't sin. Be angry or be, be trembling, but don't sin. And Charles Spurgeon says, we usually reverse to the two. We usually sin and then we get afraid that God hates us or hates others after we sin. Uh, but when you're, when you're depressed, you know, it's okay to tremble. It's okay to be afraid in life. But it's, it's what you do in the midst of your trembling that matters. Meaning, we must become, and you need to think about this for yourself, uh, you have to become wise in the particular ways of how you escape the pain of this world. Like what you specifically do when you are trembling. And what are you doing in preparation to prevent yourself from going to that false God, from going to that false way of coping? And you need to, not everybody, uh, you don't need to invite everybody into this, but you need to invite other people into that pattern that you have of avoiding God so that they can call you back to who you truly are. Sin, sin has a hard time uh, living in exposure. And so when you bring your sin into community, it has a hard time festering and living. And so what, what David is saying is that it's, it's okay to tremble, but don't sin in the midst of that trembling. Four, uh, search your hearts. You know, the, the heart in the scriptures is like the control center of the human being. And so it's a, it's a summary word for saying, like, this is who you really like. If I said, this is who Judy, like, really is, you know, this is the core of who she is. That's how the Bible talks about her heart, you know. And David says, search out what that actually is for you, especially when you're in distress. And what that means is that you need to begin asking diagnostic questions of yourself. Like, for instance, why do I revert to laziness when things feel out of control? Why do I tend to get very, very busy when I don't feel good about myself? And David is saying, don't let yourself go down that path of delusion. Don't do it just because it's easy initially. He says, think about the motivations of who you really are and what you do and be silent in the solitude of your own bed and be still. And as you know, as Jinka said at the call to worship, I really do my favorite times in a worship service. And this is hard to say because I, you know, I'm the talker or whatever. But my favorite times, whether I'm the one preaching or listening, are the moments of silence in a congregation where no one's saying anything at all. And we're just there together. And I think, it, you know, David is saying, when you are on your bed and no one's talking and ain't no one around, you remember that you are a creature and that God is a God that is sovereign over your life. And that's how communion with him begins. 
And that might, you know, David is saying, you need to, when you're stressed, you need to get away a lot. Not to escape people, but to remember who God is. Jesus did that all the time in his ministry. He would go away at early hours of the morning. Um, look, for us, that, that, may take, that may feel like it's going to take drastic measures to actually put this into pra- practice. But I would, I would encourage all of you um, to consider turning off your phone for a day. Um, I would consider, I, I would want, want us all to consider uh, limiting your news consumption and your social media consumption. I would want us all to consider um, whatever it is that distracts us from being calm. If that just sounds absolutely gut-wrenching to you, I just want you to consider that you could be trapped and always being stimulated and always keeping busy and that God does it. He wants you to be still and ponder who he is a lot so that you can remember who you are. And the sixth thing is offer right sacrifices by trusting in him. Um, a, a correct sacrifice for God is not primarily action-based, but it's motivationally based. And here's what I mean by that. Uh, about 11 years ago, during this time with the Scorpion House, I was uh, cut off from our church's budget down in Texas. And that was a good thing. It needed to happen because our church had run out of money. And I was told uh, that I had to raise money if I wanted to continue on in seminary and continue on working in the church. And it was one of those, you know, raising money, raising support was one of those things that I had told God earlier on in my life, like, I'm not going to do that, you know. I'll do anything but not that. And just FYI, don't ever tell God stuff like that because he will, yeah, he'll get his way. Um, But, you know, I I never wanted to ask people for money. And at the height of my anxiety, you know, how am I going to feed us? How am I going to keep us in this scorpion house? You know, what am I going to what am I going to do if I could put it as blunt as possible? It was one of the most pivotal times in my life. It was as if God was saying in that in that time, you're going to you're not going to do anything except watch me take care of you, which is what I've been doing all along. You were just never forced to actually believe it. And I tell you that because I had the strangest experience with checks coming in, people taking care of us, like money, so much money that like I got mad. It frightened me. Um, And I remember thinking like, I'm acting like a little pouty kid right now. Because what I really wanted in my flesh was to prove that God wasn't in charge and that he wasn't going to provide for me. And that it was okay to live in fear and anxiety. And God provided so much that it frightened me. And here's, here's the reason why I tell you, tell you this. You see what God was teaching me? Now I was working for him, right? In ministry. I had sacrificed my life away to ministry. But he didn't want that. He wanted my heart. He didn't want my sacrifices for him. He wanted my trust. That is a correct sacrifice. Offer right sacrifices for him by putting your trust in him. 
you guys know this in your most pivotal relationships, families. It's, you can give people stuff all day long, but what they really want is you. That, that's what they really want. That's how God is with you. I began to realize during that time what this verse 5 says in this psalm. And this is where the gospel gets into your heart, y'all. This is, this is my sacrifice to know that I, in the end, I haven't really sacrificed at all. And God is in the business of making beautiful green trees in the middle of a desert to prove his goodness to us in the midst of our unbelief, in the midst of our doubt. And you know why. You know why he does this, to calm us by his love, to calm us. That's the whole point of Jesus, that he was faithful when we weren't so that God could win our hearts through trust, not through what we can do for him, but what he has done for us. And we can't learn that by just being told like we have to experience it for it to be like, oh, like this stuff is true. Like God, God will really take care of us. That's how he gets glory. And why there is no boasting in the Christian life for the human being. That's why it's very important to sometimes stay. You don't have to always do this. But sometimes you need to stay in a season of drought because God is desiring to show you that he provides for people who run away from him. (laughs) And he has the power to calm us in the midst of that and say, you can stop running. You don't have to run. You don't have to run. We are watered in the drought uh, despite our lack of faith, which is the third point, the oasis in the desert, sleeping in the midst of chaos. Look at verse 8. I just want to read it again. It says, In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Um, Have you guys ever been to a hard rock show? I know, Judy, you keep in my line of sight. I'm just like, have you ever been to a hard rock show? I feel like Judy has. Don Marie has. Um, there, there was a friend of mine in college. He, uh, he was the lead guitarist in a hard rock show. And I went to his concert once and he turned into an alternate human being on stage. Like he was super gentle. And then he turned into like, you know, death metal. Um, and I was watching the show after the show. He's like, well, what'd you think? I was like, well, it was good. But like, did you see all those people fighting like at your show? And he was like, oh no, they weren't fighting. They were dancing. (laughs) I was like, no, they were like kicking and pushing each other. He's like, yeah, that's, that's called dancing. Uh, and then he said, he's like, Matt, um, hardcore is like ordered chaos. And that's the life of following Jesus. That we do this together and, and it's like ordered chaos because we're constantly going back and forth to false gods. We're constantly having to reorient ourselves back here at worship to remember that we're a creature, he's creator. And that Jesus is the king. And we come on worship every every single Sunday to, to the knowledge of the true king, the king of kings, who was sleeping in a boat once while his friends, his disciples were panicked. They thought they were going to die and they woke him up. And you remember what he said to him in the midst of that? He said, you have little faith. You don't have to wake me up. And we are to go to sleep in the midst of confusion. And many times we don't think that we'll be able to shut our eyes because, you know, we got evidence when we pray that that stuff doesn't work because there's a scorpion under my wife's foot. You know, 
Like, God, you didn't show up. You know, that's, that's our response. And God says, not so fast. Not so fast. Trust me. And here, here's the beautiful thing. You know, David, if you think about the scope of his life, this brother was never physically safe. Ever. Except for like a few months. In his adult life. I mean, he grew up as a shepherd. Shepherd was hard work, very dangerous work. His whole life, people were trying to kill him. Only in, in uh, 2 Samuel 8 and 9, there was a brief period where his enemies were at peace with him. And then his whole life after that was just constant, constant conflict. And I just want you to imagine, like, if you could just click a button in your own life and say, if this thing could just get right. Like if the thing that really frustrates me would go away or the thing that I really want if I got it. Would that change you? Like would it actually make you at peace and at rest? Because the testimony of Scripture is that even if you do get it, and we learned this last week through Kyle. There's a dark cloud over the things that we desperately want. And it is that they will end. Everything that you want will end when you end. And what David is saying, what the Psalms push us towards is that is there a, is there a peace that you can have in the midst of that? Is there a sleep that I can have in the midst of that level of chaos? And there's this interesting thing. I have, I have experienced this personally. I've seen it in my own family. I've seen it in my close friends. And I've also seen it in the wider community of not only Lincoln, but other cities. There's this thing that happens at funerals that is very, very beautiful. And what happens more often than not is that people... When close loved ones die and they go to worship, they have some of the richest worship experiences and communion with God that you've ever seen. And it is, it is undeniable and very, very hard to explain that in the midst of the deepest drought, in the midst of the worst thing, I have seen people worshiping God so freely that it, it kind of freaks me out. In a, in a good way. And that's, that's because this is who God has been all along. We're just never forced to like reach out to him in that way unless it gets dire, unless we get dry, unless we, our souls start to pant. And the reason why I tell you that is because there is so much Jesus to be found in the drought. And if you want him, uh, God will meet you. If you want him. That's why he sent his son. To prove that God does have our good in mind in the midst of the drought. If Jesus was willing to endure the cross, then you can believe that the hard thing that you're going through right now ultimately has God's kindness in the end. And that's a hard, hard thing to hear when you're in the depth of it. I get that. But it's true. 
But at the end of the day, you know, if God could stop the problem in your life with a push of his pinky and he chooses not to do it, there is no adequate way to answer why that's the case. But there is a person who can look at you and and speak to you like no other human being can and say, I know. I know. And I'm with you. God kept his promise in Jesus so that we can be honest about our stress. It's okay. We can have disciplines in the drought. We can work it out, you know. Um, But more, way more importantly, uh, so that we can know that Jesus is so near to us that we can actually go to sleep in the midst of stress. And that when we fall asleep, the ultimate sleep, the New Testament says we go to sleep in the Lord. And it's not really a death. Not the death that Jesus had to endure. Because he never leaves us. That's what we're baptized into. That's what the scriptures constantly talk about, especially in the Psalms. And so whatever you feel this morning, uh, it's okay. And God says, talk to me about that. Maybe this afternoon. Do business with wrestle with them. He likes that. That's what Israel means. One who strives with God. So let's, uh, let's pray and then we will uh, confess sin and come to the table. Father, we thank you for Psalm 4 and the fact that King David um, wrote his heart out on, um, on a very hard season and a very hard season of, of his life. And Lord, we thank you for preserving the scriptures to teach us over generation after generation after generation um, that we, we really don't have anything new right now, that we experience what uh, people who followed you in each era have always experienced, which is the hardship of life, that we live in between the kingdom coming and it not yet being fully manifested. And so in that in-between time, Lord, help us to long for the new creation. Help us to have hope in things that we don't see. Um, and help us to believe in
because you first loved us. We wanna love like you, love like you, love because you first loved us. We wanna love like you, love like you.